Thank you, Gene. Good morning to each of you. Before we turn to the Word today, would you join me in prayer? To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Psalm 25. Heavenly Father, we thank you for times like this when we gather together for worship. We gather to declare your glories. We gather to be reminded of the things that are true, the things that are real, the things that matter the most in our lives. As we come to your word this morning, we want to be fully present. We want to be fully attentive. We want to hear your voice. And so to you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. We present to you the deepest part of ourselves, our very souls. We confess that at times we lift up our souls to that which is false, to that which does not satisfy. And so reveal to us our thoughts and attitudes that are false that are unworthy of you, the one true living God. To you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. And our God, in you we trust. Let us not be put to shame. Let not our enemies exult over us. Father, when it comes to the people who threaten us, when it comes to the enemy of our souls, Satan himself, our confidence is in you. We, re- we renounce the desire to fight our battles with worldly weapons. We trust in you and we wait for you to fight our battles. Thank you for the spiritual armor that we have in Christ Jesus. Teach us daily to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. And Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Thank you that none who wait upon you will be put to shame. Now as we turn to the book of Acts, teach us your ways, your paths, your truth. We pray that the same spirit who inspired these words would open our hearts to understand and believe and obey. Be our teacher here this morning, for you are the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as far as I can remember, as long as I can remember, people have debated, uh, what should the church be? What should the church do? And many times the question or the debate is, is framed in terms of, should the church be more devoted to its internal health, its internal unity, or should the church primarily be faced outward? Should we be primarily concerned with reaching other people who don't yet know Christ? And I think, and I've thought about that question a lot, and I think that if we asked the early church, the church we're going to be studying today, that question, they would say, that's a bad question. Uh, That's a false dichotomy. Uh, The two go hand in hand. We're going to see Luke's description of the very first church that existed, the church in Jerusalem. And what we're going to see is that, that the gospel creates a community that is first and foremost strong and vibrant and unified internally. The gospel creates a community that, that really embodies the gospel and shows it forth to other people. Consequently, 
a church that's strong and unified internally is also a church that is uniquely qualified to share Christ with those who don't know him yet. And so it's a both and, and I pray that today as we look at this passage that we will all gain a fresh vision for what the church could be and how the church could use us in miraculous ways in our community in this day. I want to set the stage from last week. Last week, Sam taught from the the first 41 verses of Acts 2, and we saw that on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up in front of this crowd, and he made this declaration, Acts 2.38. He said, let all the house of Israel uh, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when the people heard this, Luke tells us they were cut to the heart. They were distraught. Why? Because seven weeks earlier, many of them were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And now Peter says, this Jesus whom you crucified, he is Lord and Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God. And so they were distraught, and they had to be wondering, do we have any chance? Is this Jesus who has all power and authority, is he now going to condemn us? Is that a foregone conclusion? And so they asked the question that every single one of us has to ask at some point, what should we do? And here's Peter's response. Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so this had to be the best news that anybody could ever hear. Peter tells him, not only if you repent and believe, not only will you not be condemned, your sin will be forgiven, and you will be given the the most extravagant gift possible. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 41, Luke writes, So those who received his word were baptized, And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The passage that Gene read earlier, Acts 2, 42 through 47, describes the type of community that that gospel created. The people repented and believed, and they were baptized individually. It's a personal, individual thing when you believe and come to Christ. But when you believe, now you become part of a community. And Luke tells us two primary things about this community. It's devotion and it's fruit. And their devotion and their fruit are an example to us. This is a model for every church, including our own. And so as we go through this passage, ask yourself the question, do I have the same devotions that they had? Am I devoted to the same thing? Are we devoted to the same thing? And do we expect God to do, produce the same fruit in us and through us, that we see here in Acts chapter 2. First of all, the devotion of a community created by the gospel. And so the gospel uh, creates a community that's devoted to four things, and there's some overlap in the items mentioned here. But verse 42 is kind of a summary statement, and the following verses kind of expand and explain that verse. And so Luke writes, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so if you're devoted to something, it's a priority. You're going to make time for it, right? 
And so uh, let me see if I can illustrate this in a relevant way. So let's say you are devoted to Kansas City Chiefs, right? Uh, you're going to make time for the big game today, right? And so if I said, hey, are you watching the Super Bowl? You're not going to say, well, I don't know if I remember, if I have time, I'll probably... Speak. No, you're all in. Now, some of you, the first thing you did when you got up this morning was put on your Chiefs gear. And you wore it to church, okay? And so you're devoted. And I'm not calling you out. I'm a little bit jealous. You know, you're a lot more comfortable than I am. But that's what devotion is. And in the same way, this early church, they were spontaneously devoted to the same things. And they weren't devoted to them because it was convenient. They weren't devoted to these things because it was, they were easy. Their devotion came from a deep place because they had all repented and believed because they had all been baptized and they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then they spontaneously devoted themselves to these things. They were a priority. This is a unique time in the history of the church, but it was a priority. They found time and energy for these things. And the first thing was the apostles' teaching. And remember that the apostles were the official spokesmen for Jesus. They were those, <clears throat> the apostles were those that were with Jesus from his baptism by John in the Jordan River all the way to his ascension when he returned to the Father. And so they could give firsthand witness, firsthand account of the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. They could declare, I saw Jesus crucified and I saw him raised from the dead. And so they could bear witnesses of all these things, witness of all these things. And during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus appeared to them. And he opened their minds so that they now understood the scriptures. And they understood how Jesus fulfilled everything that was promised in the Hebrew scriptures. And he had made this promise to them. It's found in, in John 14, 26. He had told them that the Holy Spirit will give you this supernatural recall. He will bring back to your mind. He will remind you of everything I've taught you. Plus, he will teach you things that I have not yet taught you. And so consequently, the apostles were able to preach with authority and, a, and power. And on the day of Pentecost, we saw this last week when Peter stood up and he taught the scriptures. 3,000 people came to Christ. And so they were, they were eternally changed by his teaching. And so they were hungry for more. Nobody had to tell them. You need to listen to the apostles. They were hungry for the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to it. They made it a top priority. And there were many old things they needed to stop thinking and doing. There were many new things they needed to start thinking and doing. And so they were committed to hearing and internalizing and living out what the apostles taught. Another way to say it is that they became true disciples. And I put it that way because of what Jesus said in John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, and so this is who a disciple is, if you abide in my word, if you remain in it, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so this, this original church, it was comprised of genuine disciples people who remained in, the, in Jesus' words because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And this same devotion has characterized 
disciples. It has characterized healthy churches ever since. Churches that, that know Jesus, churches that represent Jesus well, are comprised of people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching. And we, we understand now that that's the 27 books of the New Testament. One of the reasons why these books in our New Testament were, were uh, given that designation of canon, of Scripture, is because they were written by apostles or those who are close to apostles, like Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. And so we're devoted to the apostles' teaching and more broadly to the entirety of Scripture. And as Jesus said, this is something that we have to remain in throughout the entire week. And so we believe that coming and hearing the Word taught on Sundays, it's foundational. It's essential. Uh, we think it should be a priority. We don't want you to come if it's convenient or if you're, you're not doing something else. We want it to be a priority, if at all possible. You're here. You listen to the Word. I think about the Sunday sermon like the weekly family dinner. We're, we're all feasting on the same Scripture. And so that's important. But just like a family dinner, if you only have one meal a week, you're going to be malnourished. And so you hear the Scripture on Sunday. And throughout the week, you read the Scripture. You talk about the Scripture. You think about the Scripture. You seek to live it out. And in that way, you have the same devotion to the apostles' teaching and to the Scripture that the early church had. And so whether or not you're devoted to the Scriptures, whether or not you're devoted to being formed by the Word, it not only affects your spiritual health, it affects the spiritual health of this entire community. If you're not abiding in Christ's Word, then we're not going to be on the same page. I mean, in a literal sense, if we're not on the same page, the same pages of Scripture, then we'll think different thoughts, we'll have different ideas, different priorities. I mean, there's, a, there's a, an appropriate type of diversity on some issues, but when it comes to the mind of Christ, when we're all devoted to the Scriptures, then we have a unity, and then we have the power that God promises through the Word. If we're all committed to being formed by the Word, the sky is the limit, honestly. We'll have a depth of fellowship that perhaps we've never experienced before. You know, something we're providing for you, you'll have it, we'll have it ready next week. It's, kind of, it's a devotional guide for the Easter season. <clears throat> Lent starts two, two Wednesdays from now. And so we've provided this simple, uh, we're preparing this simple devotional guide. Uh, we're asking you to read through the Gospel of Luke with us. And so there will be a, a daily reading and there will be a, a daily devotion on a different spiritual discipline, these seven rhythms that, that we believe all of us should practice. And so I hope you, you're able to pick up one of these next week and uh, hope you participate in that with us. It's just one way that we're devoted to the Word together. Well, second, they also devoted themselves <clears throat> to the fellowship, to the fellowship. The word fellowship, uh, it's one Greek word you may have heard. It's koinonia, and that stresses commonality. Extre fellowship expresses what a group of people share in common. And these 3,000 people who formed the, the church in Jerusalem instinctively understood that what they had in common was far greater than any differences that they had. They were devout Jews who had come from every nation under heaven, but because they had all believed 
and repented because they had all been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had this commonality. And so they devoted themselves to the fellowship. In other words, they devoted themselves to one another. It was a priority. It took their time. And look down at verses 44 and 45. We see a tangible expression of their devotion to the fellowship. We read this, and all who believed were together. If you're devoted to other people, you're going to spend time with them. They were together, and they had all things in common. And so the word fellowship is koinonia. The word common is koinos. And so because they had such deep, substantive commonality in Christ, they had all things in common. And this is a unique time, right? I mean, uh, most people were there from out of town. They were literally kind of living out of their suitcases. And so those who lived in Jerusalem, they said, hey, what's mine is yours. We're family now. So my food is your food. My home is your home. You need clothes? Look in my closet. They, They held all things in common. And so their fellowship uh, was so deep that they had this, this attitude, what's mine is yours. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. If you keep reading in the book of Acts, you see they didn't sell everything, but they, they still had their homes. But they sold many things because there were needs in the community. And that's the mindset of a family. If somebody in my family has a need, one of my kids, one of my brothers, say, absolutely, I've got excess. It's yours. I'll sell it. I'll, I'll sell it. I'll give you the proceeds if that's what you need. And so what we see here is that devotion to the fellowship makes people generous toward one another. If you're devoted to the fellowship, you are generous toward the people, your other people in that fellowship. And we'll see this throughout the book of Acts. And if you've been here at faith for any, any period of time, you, like me, have seen this same devotion and this same generosity here at faith. And we see it all the time. And sometimes it happens individually and spontaneously. An individual sees the need uh, and, and they just spontaneously say, hey, let me meet that. Let me, let me pay that bill. Let me, let me encourage you in this. Sometimes They'll bring that need to a larger group, a life group, or maybe to the church and say, hey, how can we together help meet that need? And we've seen it over and over in a life group. A life group will say, okay, what can we do? We'll buy gift cards. We'll bring meals. We'll provide child care. We'll write notes of encouragement. And we see this, this generosity expressed in amazing ways. There's a sense, uh, and one, one of the ways we do it, um, corporately is we have a compassion fund and many of you have been incredibly generous to that and so year after year we give away tens of thousands of dollars to people both inside the church and people in our community who have financial needs and so again that's an expression of devotion to the fellowship your generosity there's a sense in which every time you give to the church, every time you give to a ministry, every time you give to a missionary, you're saying, you know, I'm not only concerned about myself. I want to see the body of Christ thrive. I want to see the body of Christ grow. 
And so by that expression of commitment to the fellowship, you're generous and the church thrives. There's a sense in which every time you serve, you're, you're generous with your time. And I'm, I am amazed at the generosity that so many of you have with your time, both on Sunday morning and throughout the week. And I could, I could illustrate this a dozen different ways, honestly. Now, I want to tell you about one, uh, one ministry that I personally have benefited from. A few years ago, I was, I was uh, in a tough situation, and I was stuck mentally and emotionally. Uh, in some ways, spiritually, I was, I was kind of a wreck. And so I asked to be paired with a Stephen minister. And Stephen ministry is, a, is a, a ministry here in the church. Those that are Stephen ministers, they initially receive 50 hours of training. And then there's ongoing training, just equipping these individuals to come alongside hurting people. And so I was paired with another man in the church, and uh, he came alongside me, very generous with his time because he, was, because he was devoted to the fellowship. He gave me his time. And so we met weekly for months, and we would talk and pray. And between our meetings, he would pray, he would check on me, and God used that in my life in a powerful way. That was God's instrument for healing. And so again, that's just an example of devotion to the fellowship expressed by generosity of time. So I would commend that ministry to you, actually. If you're hurting in some way, if you've experienced some kind of loss, maybe you've lost a job, maybe you've lost a relationship, uh, maybe you're stuck in some way, and you, you just really need somebody to come alongside you, talk with you, and pray for you. It might be for a short time. It could be for a long time. I would encourage you to just, just request a Stephen minister. Many of you have benefited from this. And uh, probably the best way to do that is just call the church office. Incredible confidentiality. You just give your name and contact information. Somebody will be in, in touch with you and see if uh, there might be somebody that can walk with you. But a devotion to the fellowship, that... That's key. It makes us strong. It makes us united. It makes us healthy. Third thing we see here, we see they were devoted to the breaking of bread. In first century Jewish culture, to break bread meant to, meant, uh, to, break bread meant to eat together. They would begin the meal by breaking a, a loaf of bread and giving thanks, and then they would eat. Uh, in the second century, uh, the term breaking of bread, that's the way they commonly referred to the Lord's table. And that's because at the Last Supper, at the Passover meal, Jesus broke the bread. He gave thanks and said, uh, take this bread, uh, it, this bread, this is my body. As often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. And so it may be when Luke mentions they were devoted to breaking bread together that they were devoted to the Lord's Supper in the context of a larger meal. They did have a meal along with, with the Lord's Supper many times. But it seems to me that Luke is primarily saying they were devoted to eating together, and I say that because of what we read down in verse 46. We read, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So they were committed to eating together. And you wonder, what's the big deal about that? Well, 
in their culture and in our culture, if you have a meal with somebody, if you invite somebody into your home to sit at your table and to eat your food and to drink your drink, you're saying, I'm in relationship with you. I accept you and I value this relationship. And so if you break bread with people, you deepen that relationship and you experience a type of unity. And so this has great benefits for the entire community. And I I realize that some of you just do this very naturally. You invite people into your home. It looks effortless. It's not. It's it's a truckload of work. But it looks effortlessly, and hospitality is your thing. And that's your your home is the hub of your your service to other people. And for others of you, not so much. You, You don't enjoy it. It's hard. It's not easy for you. And so we're not saying... Everybody has to to just be great at having people into their home. We need to find simple ways to connect with each other. Many times it happens over food. And so they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Find simple ways to spend unhurried time like meals with other people, other believers. Then finally, they were devoted to the prayers. And we've already seen in Acts that they were devoted to prayer. But here I think that uh, when he writes they were devoted to the prayers, it probably suggests that they were devoted to participation in the set times of prayer at the temple. We'll see next week in Acts 3 that they went up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour. And so in in addition to individual private times of prayer, they, they found it a priority to gather with others and to pray. We'll see that when Peter was in prison, there was a group gathered together, praying for him. This is just their habit. It was their devotion. They wouldn't think of just leaving Peter out there on his own without covering him in prayer. They understood that prayer moves the hand of God. Here at Faith, over the years, we have, we have had various formats uh, for churchwide times of prayer. It can be challenging to find something that really works in the sense that people will really enter into and be devoted to. to. And so that's an ongoing discussion. But currently, our devotion to prayer is expressed in smaller groups, when smaller groups gather. And so on Wednesday morning, there's a a prayer group here at Faith that's met faithfully for years and years, and you're, you're welcome to join that. The details are on our website. Uh, Life groups, pray when they meet. Rooted has a prayer experience, cultivating a, a heart of prayer. Our elders meet to pray. If you're involved in a campus ministry, that may be the primary pray, place where you gather with others to pray. It may be the, the main place where you experience this depth of community that we're talking about here. Uh, I'm part of a pastor's prayer group, uh, pastors around our city. We meet twice a month to pray, pray for one another and for our city. And so I just acknowledge it can be challenging, but I'd encourage you to either find a group or pull together a group that you can be devoted to when it comes to prayer. And generally speaking, it starts in our homes. If we're praying in our homes and that's our devotion, we expand it out and we pray with other groups of people. But if we're not devoted to prayer, even corporate prayer, We're not going to have the power. We're not going to be like the church we see in Acts. And so here are the four great devotions of this church. 
And, and this made them a strong church. It made them a vibrant church. It made them a unified church. And next we're going to see the type of fruit that that kind of church, that kind of community that God produced in them and through them, the fruit of a community created by the gospel. Verse 43, we see one type of fruit. They experience God himself. We read, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That word awe is normally translated fear. And so what he's describing here is that the fear of the Lord came upon them. And we're going to see later that this fear of the Lord spilled out to people who didn't yet yet know Jesus. There's a sense of awe. Who are these people? And who is their God that they would be have this type of community and God would do through the apostles such signs and wonders? And next week, we're going to look at a specific example of that. Uh, this week, if you would, read Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at a, a, a miracle that Peter did that's incredibly reminiscent, reminiscent of a miracle that Jesus had done. But because they were this gospel-centered community, they experienced and demonstrated the power of God. And then down in verse 47, we see that they were the type of community that reached others. Because of who they are, this is the type of fruit that they bore. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. That's a significant statement there. They had the favor of of others in Jerusalem. We'll see throughout the book of Acts that people made accusations against Christians, sort of like today. And so the accusations were that these Christians are troublemakers. These Christians are bad for business. These Christians are disruptive to a healthy, uh, fully functioning society. And so Luke takes numerous opportunities to mention that these accusations were unfair and untrue. When people saw their devotion, people saw the way that they lived their lives, they held them in high esteem. People respected them. They had the favor of all the people. Their community was tangible evidence that the gospel produces good people. The gospel produces good people. The people who have the devotions that we just described. And because people respected them, they were receptive to their gospel. And so we read, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the Lord did not do this independent of the community. He did it through the community. This is a community that embodied the gospel. They talked about the gospel. They told what had happened to them, what can happen to you. And and so consequently, people responded. God added to their number. And this is what we want to see happen here at Faith. This is what we believe can and should happen here at Faith in our day. If we're a community that is characterized, that's devoted to the four things we talked about, the Word of God, the fellowship, uh, the uh, breaking of bread, and prayers, if we are that type of community, we'll have a type of health, we'll have the type of fellowship that people will notice, honestly, 
And some people will respect it. Some people won't. But some people will be held in favor among some, and they will be respective to our gospel. And if we're that kind of community, and we're experiencing God, and we're living in the fear of the Lord, then we'll just naturally talk about the gospel. You don't have, any, have to have somebody pointing in your face, you should tell people the gospel. No, it's we'll talk about it because it's your passion. It's just a natural overflow from your life. And so if we let our light shine, if we live transparent lives, some will see the gospel, that the gospel produces good people, and some will see our devotion actually as an asset to our community, and some will therefore believe the gospel and will be added to our number. It's not a formula, but it's a general pattern that's, that's repeated in every generation, in every culture. And so that's what we're going for. And so the question is, do we have the right devotion? I've got a couple questions there at the bottom of your, your sermon outline. And I would, if you want an assignment, I'd like to ask you to answer these questions and talk about them with at least one other person. You can talk about it on the drive home. You can talk about it at lunch. You can talk about it at halftime. Uh, just talk about this, okay? The first question, which of these four devotions are a strength for you? And don't be, don't be afraid to notice what you're good at, what God has done in your life. And why is that? Others, others will learn from that. Which of these four devotions are a weakness for you? Which are hard? And why is that? And so examine your life. Examine your heart. Let God show you what you need to see. It matters whether we're devoted to these things. We want to see God do extraordinary things in this community and through this community. We want to see many people added to our number. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that this week that you will give us, give us real discernment as we talk about these things. It, it sounds pretty simple, but it's, it's hard in many ways. But God, may these devotions be our joy May it be something, these be something that we, we love to pursue with one another. And God, for anybody here who's unconnected, either here at Faith or to any other believing community, we pray, God, that you will make those connections. We pray that we might be hospitable in the, the totally biblical sense of just inviting people to experience Christ with us as we have. And so, God, we, we long to see Many, many people come to Christ. Would you make us the community that can share Christ and welcome them in the name of Christ? In his name we pray, amen.